for one of our military members. So let me begin by saying I'm, I'm very excited to be here. I'm excited because I believe that every church service is an opportunity for a new start. Just last month, I had the privilege of attending a Discovering City Life class where a young man made a vow of devotion to Jesus. Now, I don't know if he thought about it on the way here, but he came. And sitting in a room with a handful of people, he took his first spiritual breath towards a new life. And that's what church should do. It should give people hope for a better life. Because without it, without hope, every difficulty we face can seem greater than the God we serve. I know that if I started here in the front row, and I worked my way to the back, and I spent some time with every one of you listening to your life story, with the exception of a few of you, most would readily admit that they're currently experiencing or facing some difficulty or challenge where hope is a must. Amen? Where hope is a must. Maybe it's tension in your marriage, difficulties with your kids, fractured relationships, a palpable loneliness, high school drama, financial problems. It could be work issues or health issues. And because of these trials, sometimes it can feel like, well, that God's promises are for other people. And that's why this series titled The Good News is so important. Because one of the core tenets of the good news is hope. Hope. But you and I know that bad news gets all the airtime. And bad news says there is no hope. Bad news says you're you're not going to be happy. That's not going to work. Bad news says there's no hope for this person or that person because you know what? People don't change. But you know and I know that the good news says that people do change and that better is possible. In fact, it says if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone. The old way of thinking, acting, speaking, behaving, it's gone. And the new has come. Think about it. Why else would we be here? Why else would you and I carve out two hours on a Saturday night to come to church if there wasn't at least a small part of us that believed and that hoped real change was possible, that better was possible? I'm going to show you tonight up close that it is possible. And I'm going to do that by introducing you to somebody, somebody who lied, somebody who cheated, and somebody who used people for years, decades even. And today, that same person, they don't lie anymore, and they don't cheat. And not only are they not using people anymore, they actually try to help people. Who is it? Who am I talking about? Me. Me. Revelations 12, 11 says they overcome. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, if you or I hope to overcome the works of the enemy, 
And the difficulties of our days, we're going to need two things. One, above all, we're going to need the power of Jesus Christ. And two, and this is important, we're going to need encouraging examples of others. Now understand, many people in here, you're familiar with our testimony. You already know about it. I'm sharing it tonight, not because I think it's unique, but because I think it isn't. Because while you may not struggle with the same sins that I had, you still struggle, amen? And that's why your story and my story, it's so important, it's so necessary to the body of Christ. Folks, we have to make time. We have to find the courage to share it. Otherwise, people are going to believe that they're the only ones that are experiencing real difficulties. So you know what? Tonight, I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first and share some of our story, okay? A story that started 31 years ago when I married that woman, Lori, right there, right? We, we started dating when I was 14. We got married at 19. I'm 50, right? I know, you know what, big fro, right, mullet? I'm 50. That's a long time. Do the math. And if I told you, if I said throughout that time, it hasn't always been easy, you'd probably sit back there and you shake your head. It's like, yeah, I can understand, right? 31 years. And even if I said that there were times, you know, we didn't think we were going to make it, you'd probably still shake your head. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess three decades, I can see that happening. Even if I told you that we almost got divorced, you'd probably still shake your head. Yeah, well, you know, divorce is pretty common outside the church, unfortunately. Even inside the church, it's pretty commonplace. So I can understand that. But what if? What if I told you that 16 years into our marriage, Lori found out that I had been unfaithful? What would you think of our marriage? Or me, for that matter. If I told you for the first 16 years of our marriage, I lived a double life. A life of lies and multiple affairs. Whoa. Well, hold up. Well, now that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because spouses will put up with just about anything except that. So what happened? What happened? How do two young kids, kids, teenagers, marry and experience a decade and a half plus of pain and betrayal? How do they make it 31 years? Uh, and not just make it, but have never been more in love or closer as friends than this moment. How does that happen? How? The good news.
I know that a lot of people think that the wife knows, but truly I did not know. Um, he was very flirtatious. Um, there were always incidents that would make me wonder, but Steve was a charmer and he would always smooth things over. For years, Lori Ruggiero's husband, Steve, lived a double life. At home, he played the provider husband. At parties and as a military man on the road, he played the field. I didn't put up the walls, you know, and I hung out with a lot of single guys. Everyone's looking for women, and there I am. And I was like, well, you know what? I'm in it with you, you know? And it, there was nothing keeping me from back, even a fear of uh, getting caught. Steve and Lori started out as high school sweethearts, immersed in the party scene. This free-spirited lifestyle continued for a few years after the two married, until their first child came along. I immediately um, grew up. <laughs> Uh, having a baby will definitely mature you. And um, unfortunately, it didn't do the same for Steve. While I love sitting here and, and uh, you and I and talking and playing with our baby, there was still this call of all my friends saying, hey, we're all going out. Uh, are you coming? Steve couldn't resist, so he joined them week after week. It was a, a very, a very rough period, but that is when I began to turn to the Lord. That's when I began to, you know, come back to him, so to speak. I, I wanted guidance in raising my daughter. Um, you know, I started going to church. Um, Steve went, he did go with me. He would, you know, he would go Sunday mornings forever, but um, we were the first ones out the door, you know, when the service was over. Lori resented Steve's choice of partying over parenting. It led to a vicious cycle of arguments, makeups, and lies Steve made up to hide multiple affairs. It was like living on a, living on eggshells, because you never know. You never know what's going to be said or what kind of hole you got to dig yourself out of. Steve remembers when the trouble began. He'd been on the phone with the woman he was involved with. It was one of those situations where uh, I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't lie about it anymore. I was devastated. Yeah, I couldn't get out of bed for two weeks. I cried out to God and I said, look, I, I can't make my marriage work and feel like this. I can't even function as a mother and feel like this. And I said, please, if it's at all possible, can, can you please take some of this pain away? And it was amazing because he did. It was gone. I, I totally forgave him. Um, I never brought it up, you know, uh, we went on. I thought things were gonna be wonderful from that point on, you know. But they weren't. Even though Steve and Lori went through counseling at church and Steve apologized for cheating on his wife, he couldn't break the pattern. And in some uh, twisted way, I thought I could have both. You know, I mean, after 17 years, um, I was, I just figured this is, this is who I am. But Steve's double life caught up with him. Lori found out he'd had another affair. I became angry with myself for not seeing it, for at him for doing it. I was angry with God for letting it happen. When the truth finally came out, Lori discovered that this and the other affair she knew about were just two of many Steve had. I just, I couldn't understand how he could do something like that you know, to us, to the kids, to everybody, you know. I mean, our whole family was devastated, you know. And um, yeah, there was no hope at that point at all. So the couple separated and Steve moved out. I, I pretty much started falling apart then. It was literally um, the beginning of the end. If it hadn't been for a neighbor who referred Lori to a pastor willing to help and Lori's openness to try, the Ruggerios would have ended up divorced. I was thinking, help, are you kidding me? I was like, I can't believe 
that you would even stay. It was a long, hard road out of the pit Steve dug, but the couple chose to make the journey. For Lori, the key to restoration would be forgiveness. Humanly, it's impossible to forgive that. Um, but I just told God, I'm willing. I'm willing to forgive. You've got to help me. You've got to do it. For Steve, it was surrender to God. I never really had given my all to, uh, to serving the Lord or seeing what He can do. It was always someone else's God. And I read Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. I said, I don't even know what that is. You know, you're asking me to do, I said, you're asking me to do something. I said, I don't even know what it is. You know, love my wife like you love the church. I don't even know who you are. And uh, yeah, he said, well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. And, uh, and that began a process of uh, literally dying to who I was and a new person being born. From that point to today, he began to show me what it meant to truly love your wife, to truly serve, serve others, serve her. And through that, <clears throat> the person who I was still trying to survive was being starved. And I was choosing life, choosing Christ, choosing my family over that life. And I began to change. And I began to feel free for the first time. But wholeness in the marriage didn't come overnight. I think we cried for two years straight every day. Um, yeah, we spent a lot of time talking, asking questions, you know, um, seeking God, praying, you know, um, and more crying. I remember about a year and a half into it, and I said, you know what, I don't blame you if you go, because this might be as good as it gets. You know, there's this is deep sadness underneath. Um, even if we laugh or we have a good time, it's always there, you know, it's always there. And I didn't really trust God enough or have faith that he would restore that. But Steve did. God gave me a promise that if I changed, if I went after him, he'd save us. It took me, I think, five years. And when we renewed our vows is when I finally told him that I trusted him. She looked me in the eye and said, in front of everybody and said, I forgive you. I remember after the wedding, Lori said to me, you know, someday effective, you know, you make me the happiest woman in the world. And, you know, and I said, you know what? I'm not done. I feel like 20 years were stolen from you. And I got a lot more to give. Today, Steve and Lori say they have their priorities straight, and in turn, they have a healthy marriage. I asked Lori, you know, don't, don't put any faith or trust in me. Um, put it in my relationship with God. You know, and as she sees uh, he and I get closer and closer together, that's where she finds any trust and faithfulness. Um, I, I, I never, I, I would never think that I, I could that I've changed on my own. I haven't. All the trust I have now is in my relationship with the Lord and what He's done for me and my family. Mm -hmm. And this is so far more 
than anything we could have ever imagined, ever imagined in this relationship, in a, in a, in a marriage. There's no marriage that is beyond God's help. There's no marriage that's beyond repair. There's nothing beyond God's reach. Nothing, truly nothing is impossible with God. Now the good news, it makes all things possible. We did that interview because we wanted people to have hope. We wanted people to have hope. And the first time it aired, nearly 700 people called in and got saved. But the real work, the real, the real story is not what you see in a 10-minute video clip, as inspiring as it is. But the work that was done behind the scenes, the daily discussions, the, the difficult decisions. So for the remainder of our time together tonight, I want to share a little bit about that work. I want to share a little bit about it. And I want to highlight what I call the three kingdom components of change. Kingdom components of transformative change that I found. We're asked often, how did you change? Well, I think we're going to encompass a little bit of that tonight. But let me make a caveat here. Everyone's story, everyone's journey of healing, emotional healing, right? Reconciliation, redemption, it's going to look different. Everyone's story is going to look different. We're, we're, we're very unique creations, amen, with vastly different backgrounds, exposed to a myriad of different experiences. So it's going to look different. Your story is going to look different than mine. No doubt about that. However, every journey of transformation, kingdom transformation and change, will contain these three elements on an ongoing basis, regardless of where you are in your journey or whatever struggle you face. You will have to have these three things operating on a regular basis. But before I go into them, I want to highlight a few of the lies that I believed. A, a few of the lies that I believed that kept me stuck in my sin, skirting around the truth. You know, I come to find out that every sin has an accompanying lie with it. So I want to share some of these with you tonight because who knows? Maybe you've heard some of them before. Maybe you've even said them. So I want to share some of them. I'm finishing a book right now called Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. And he said, Self-justification is insidious. Lying to oneself destroys the very possibility of learning. And that's what I was doing. Every day, every day, telling myself time after time that this is who I am. I can't change. I can't. This is a very pernicious lie. This is a lie about identity and resignation. When we tell ourselves this, we cut everything else out. We, we literally box out the redemptive aspect of God. And I believe this. 
with all that I am because I tried to change numerous times and failed over and over and over again. So I came to believe, like maybe some of you have, that this is just who I am. I can't change. But you know and I know we wouldn't be here tonight if that rang true. Amen? So along with that, I also said this one. Other than this sin, I'm a really good person. It's just, I'm a good husband. I just, this thing here. Other than that, let me tell you something. Sin, it can't be compartmentalized. It can't be controlled. It can't be contained. Sin contaminates everything. And don't kid yourself. Character? Character isn't graded on a curve. You either have it or you don't. Number three. I'm not really hurting anyone. It's just, I'm just, this is just me. Only I'm doing this. I'm not hurting anyone. Really? Really. Ask your family. Ask your friends. Our sin affects everyone. I didn't know Adam personally, the first one. I didn't know him, but his sin still affects me today. Amen? Our sin affects everyone. Here's one. Hey, hey, I'm going to stop soon, (laughs) and I'm going to get this problem under control. I I promise this time is the last time I'm going to get this one under control. No. No. You won't. You won't. Because if you could, you would. Nicholas Epley is a professor of behavioral science, and he wrote a book called MindWise. And he said in this book, decades of psychological research has proven there's a significant disconnect between what people believe about themselves and how they actually behave. Decades, proven research, gap between what we believe about ourselves and how we actually behave. Please, don't be deceived. How about this one? Everyone does it. Everyone does it. No, they don't. They don't. We tell ourselves this lie to numb the guilt that accompanies our sin. And listen, this is good. If we can group ourselves into a larger category of people, then our problem, our sin problem, (laughs) it's not really personal, it's cultural. It's not me, it's society. Listen, sin is always personal. Those are just a few. Those are a few of the lies I told myself. There were more. Maybe you have some of your own, right? So what did I do? What did I do? How does a person who believes that, believes it, lives it, 
makes decisions out of it. How does a person go from that to the person standing here tonight? Well, you know, throughout this series, we've been talking about good news and bad news. Here's the bad news. There's no five-step process. There's no three easy steps, and there's no pill you could take to change. You can't. It doesn't work like that. You know what I found? I found that my journey, my journey took a nonlinear path, right? A nonlinear path that consisted of self-discovery, divine revelation, and immediate and obedient application. Nonlinear because some days I was up here. Hey, some days I was down here. Some days I was way over here. Some days I was way over here. But no matter where I was, I opened myself, right, to discovery, things about myself, things I believe, things about those I knew. Revelation, God saying, hey, here's why you made those decisions. Here's what my word says. And lastly, application. Because then I have to act on what I hear and what I'm learning. If I'm not, it's just knowledge. And it all started, my journey, everything started with a spark of hope. Hope. Just like tonight. Hope. Not, not in a process. Not in a person. But in the power of Jesus Christ. And that power flowed. And hope overflowed as I engaged and initiated, embraced the following three components I want to talk to you about tonight. So if you want to change, if you're currently facing a struggle, if you want to become everything that God has for you on your kingdom journey, then I want to ask you as I go through these, how active are they in your life? What do they look like in your life? Listen, tonight, I'm just going to touch lightly on them. I'm not going to go real in-depth on it because that's later. How do, you, how do you encompass 30 years in 30 minutes? So we're going to talk about it just a little bit tonight. And then we're going to give some time for prayer and let God kind of deal and talk to our hearts, okay? So let's look at the first one. The first one, confession. Confession. There's no change without confession. There's no growth without confession. It's confessing to God, and it's confessing to one another. And let me add this. That second half, confessing to one another, that's not optional. It's not optional. You may be welcomed into eternity with a private prayer between you and Jesus, but if you want to change down here, if you want to transform down here, then you're going to need to find two or three people that you trust and confide in them your sins and your shortcomings. That's why Romans 10.9 says, if you confess, right? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. Saved. But James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Healed. I found that when I began to confide in people that I trusted, 
my sins and shortcomings. You know what? Things began to fall off of me. As I brought them into the light, that weight of condemnation and shame, it was gone. And I began to walk my journey of transformation. Here's what I know. God will never ask us to do something without giving us the resources to do it. He'll never do that. Which leads me to my second point. Connection. Just like confession isn't optional, now there's connection. Our lives and our destinies are marked by the company we keep. Dr. John Townsend wrote a book called The Entitlement Cure. And in it he said, we, we tend to operate at the level of health of the people that we surround ourselves with. We tend to operate at the level of health of the people that we surround ourselves with. See, that's why Lori and I are so passionate about life groups. Because we wouldn't be here without them. We wouldn't be here without them. Because when times got difficult and we felt hopeless, people in our life group gave us hope. When we felt like giving up, there were people who encouraged us to go on. That's why we're so passionate about it. You have to find the community and get connected. See, that's the power of it. Listen, without key relationships in our life, we can be easily lured into a false sense of maturity. A false sense of maturity where we think our spirituality is right up here. We're really, really spiritual people. And then we get plugged in with other people who believe they're really, really spiritual. And you know what happens? Those two people begin to bump up against each other. And things begin to come out of you. And suddenly you start realizing, maybe I'm not as spiritual as I thought I was. Right? Maybe I'm not. We think we're here. Something begins to happen. And then something comes out of us again. Right? And then we start realizing, maybe I have to actually practice this grace and this forgiveness and this mercy that I can so easily quote. Now I actually have to do it. Welcome to the body of Christ. Right? We need the deep, the rich, and honest feedback that comes from fellowship to bring some reality to our spirituality. Okay? To bring some reality to our spirituality. Want to know how spiritual you are? Get plugged in. That's why many people, they just kind of, I'll just, I'll just get out here and isolate. I'll, I'll do my own thing. Spiritual island, we call it. Proverbs 18.1. Anyone who isolates themselves, right? We know it. They seek their own gain. And they rage against all wise judgment. Who wants to rage against wisdom? But that's what we do. When we step out here, get outside of everybody. So yeah, confession became a regular part of my life, often with people I trust, because they help me. Connection, I built that. I, I, I helped build that, that, that army around me to help me 
to help me grow, to keep me safe. I don't want to be on spiritual island, be the first one voted off, amen, <laughs> right? So along with those two, you know, it's so funny too because we, we hear these things all the time. It's like, Psh, who didn't know that? Where's the revelation? If, if, we, if we know it, well, I think you know the rest. So confession, connection, and a passion for continued growth. Continued growth. And it's, again, sounds so elementary. If it's so elementary, why is everybody capping out at complacency? Right? What's the, you lost your first love. People start out strong, like horses out the gate. Six months in, they're like, yeah, it was good, thanks, appreciate it. I'm moving on. Listen, this isn't about refining a few bad habits. Right? It's not about curbing your language and clicking off the computer every now and then. It's more than that. It's more than that. I remember early on, on our journey, where God spoke clearly to my heart. Said, I didn't, Steve, I didn't save you so you'd be faithful to your wife. I saved you so you'd be faithful in life. Everything. It's not one thing. It's everything. Faithfulness in my marriage is a byproduct of my faithfulness to him. And that's backed up in Colossians. Look what it says. We ask God to give us in here complete knowledge of His will, to give us in here spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you and I live, will always honor and please the Lord. Your life and my life will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, growing as we learn to know Him better and better. That, that's not a help me out of this crisis verse. That's not a, man, I just got this one struggle. Can you come in and lend a brother a hand? That's a lifestyle. And that's what I had to learn. So, you could be sitting here tonight and say, well, how do I do that? What, is, what, what does a future of continued growth look like? Well, you know what? We've, you've heard it before from the pulpit at City Life, and you're going to hear it again. The pathways. That's our discipleship model. The city life pathways. Look at them. Evaluate them. And you're like, Pastor Fred talks about them all the time. I wonder how many of us have gone home and have actually looked at those 12 pathways outside of church. If you haven't, I hope you're feeling the conviction now that says, I've never looked at these outside of church. Go home. Look at them. Take them in your devotion time and ask God, what are at least one or two I can begin to make active or grow in my life? And as you do that, you're going to grow. You're going to grow. Can I have the worship team come up, please? Every day, every day is filled with opportunities to change your future, to change your future. So you may be sitting here wondering, okay, what does confession, connection, and a passion for continued growth, what, what does that have to do with hope? I say everything. 
everything. Because confession gives us hope for freedom. Because connection, it gives us hope for fellowship with friends and family. And a passion for continued growth, it gives us hope for a future. But hope always requires a response. Hope always requires a response from us. Because hope without action is merely wishful thinking. It's just wishful thinking. So what does this mean for you? What does our journey have to do with your journey? Well, if you remember, I started tonight by saying that I believe that every church service is an opportunity for a new start. And I believe that there are people here tonight that want a new start, that need a new start. Tonight's the night. Can I ask you to stand with me, please? Here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. If God has stirred your heart tonight about the need to get connected, then I want to ask you to to come see me, my wife, the folks in the blue shirt, or other leaders at City Life. And we're we're going to help you find a life group. We're going to help identify some ministry areas where you can serve. And we're going to help you tonight get connected. If God stirred your heart about continued growth, because maybe, maybe your passion has waned and, and it's grown cold and, and you don't really know, what are some steps that I can take to get the pathways operating in my life? Come see us. And we're going to help you with that. But that's not what I want to do right now. Because right now, I want to talk about confession. I want to talk about confession. So if you're here tonight and you look back on your life and you can never find a time where you you made that commitment to Christ through a confession to Him, then I want tonight to be that night. Don't leave here wondering and waiting. Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. If He's speaking to your heart tonight, and you grip the seat in front of you, and you stay where you are, you're literally hardening your heart. So we've asked people to, to, to come to the sides, to pray with you. But I would say, go there, or come here. Make your way to the altar. If you're here tonight, and maybe you have made that commitment to Christ, but but you've lost some of the passion. You're not quite serving Him as, as diligently and as earnestly as you were when you first said the prayer. Then come on up. 
And let's pray together tonight. Or if you're here and you want a new start for your marriage, just like we got, and, and you want to be a new husband and a new wife, if you, if you want to be a new son and a new daughter, then let's pray together tonight. Tonight is your new start. But I'm going to need you to see the people on the side. I'm going to need you to come up front to the altar and let's pray together. As we enter in worship, come on up front and let's pray together to make tonight our new start so we don't walk out of here with the same weight of sin that we had walking in. Amen? Let's worship.
there, there's a saying that says, you know, we can live a little over 40 days with no food before our organs start shutting down. And we can go maybe three days without water, eight seconds or eight minutes without air. But we can't go one second without hope. Not one. Every one of you here, you're telling a story. You have a testimony. People need to hear it. And you know that that first day when God began to break me, I had no idea what the future held. All I knew is this moment right in front of me. It's all I had. It's all I knew. I didn't know 16 years later I'd be standing on a stage giving my testimony. All I knew was what I had right in front of me and I wanted to be faithful with that. So for many of you, you don't have to worry about what the next two or three years looks like. All you got to worry about, what is the next two or three minutes and what decisions do I need to make? Because that's what I did. One decision at a time. One moment at a time. And I built a new history. Because this is a special year for us. Because as of December of this year, We'll have 16 years plus on this side of grace than that side of sin. And we didn't know that. And maybe you don't either. But all you need is this moment. So may the God of hope empower you today to live out your new start. Thank you. We'll see you next week.